Welcome back. Richard, it's good to see you this morning. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you, my sir? Um, oh, I know what it was. How many Sundays, how many weekends, how many Sundays left until Christmas? I, I thought that was a long pause. Um, <laughs> I heard I was thinking that was... We're about 100 days away from Christmas. That's I was I thinking, that. yeah, about, about 12 or 13 uh, Sundays until Christmas, and that was a scary thought. Yes, so, yes. But people are beginning to talk about it already, so. Right. Um, but, otherwise, you're good? Everything's good on your, over there? Yeah, we're doing, doing well. And, um, but because we're that close to Christmas, what that means is that we are well into the school year. Well, that's um, the other thing. Schools, schools around the country start at different times. Um, right. Here in Florida, we start as early as possible in August, about the first or second week of August. Other schools don't open until after Labor Day. Right. By, by the mid to late uh, September, um, school is, well, we would say school is in full swing. Yes. But I don't think we can use that phrase uh, accurately anymore. Well, we're going to talk, we're going to return to to talk about schools today because it's, it is one of our uh, favorite topics, um, favorite not because we really enjoy talking about what's going on, but it, enjoy because it's something that we really need to talk about. We um, have to talk about it because there, there's right. so much going on. And, and um, as, as the title of today's podcast suggests, you know, our, our schools need us more than ever now mm-hmm. because of all that's going on. And so we're going right. to talk a little bit about that today. Right. Yeah. And we begin with um, some of the data from and every, everybody, well, not everybody, everybody should be asking, what was the effect of the pandemic? Um, on children's, um, the acquisition of academic skills. And we know there's some effect because, um, (laughs) you know, you're not allowed to miss school if you're younger than 16, it's that important. Um, And we know that an extended absence can have a devastating effect. When I say extended absence, I mean a a student misses three or four days or a week of school um, and they start to get behind in a hurry. Mm -hmm. Well, we have to remember that during the pandemic, Students missed not weeks of school, but some missed a whole September of classroom instruction. And so um, researchers are now beginning to investigate what the effect of that lost instructional time is on the acquisition of academic skills. Right. And one of the things they learned, and one of the, the first article we'll post, is the results of a test called the National Assessment of Educational Progress, NAEP. And it is a standardized test that is given around the country. You know, every state has its own tests. Right. But this is the only test that you give to students who live everywhere in the United States. Mm -hmm. And we've been using it since the 1970s. And since the 1970s, Uh, Since the 1970s, these scores have gradually increased from the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. Then in the late 90s to early 2000s, they sort of plateaued. And we then began to talk about what was called the achievement gap, Mm -hmm. which is that the, the, the students who did well in school, and then there were students who don't do well in school, and we had a hard time closing that achievement gap. And, and, and much of our schooling from the, from the late 1990s, early 2000s was how do we close, how do we get these underperforming students to perform better? So we thought, saw things like 
um, standardized tests, high stakes tests, school grades, teacher grades. What can we do to close that achievement gap? Well, then the pandemic hit in 2000. And so researchers said, well, let's compare the scores. Well, 2000, 2020. 2020, sorry. Yeah. So, so in 2020, the pandemic hit. So researchers now saying, okay, let's compare the scores in 2020 with the scores in 2022. Mm-hmm. And what they discovered was that there was a, um, a, a the, for the first time in the history of the NAEP, for the first time in, in 30 years, the test scores dropped. It's the first time in 30 years that they actually showed a decline. And the problem with the decline is not so much its size, though it's impressive. It's that the students who are in the top 10% of the class had a 3%, had about a, a three point drop in performance. Whereas the students in the bottom 10%, the underachievers, showed a 12 point loss. And so what this means is that those who could least afford the time off suffered the most. Right. And so another way to look at this is that the average student lost the equivalent of 22 weeks of instruction. Right, because about, because one point equals about three weeks of learning. About three weeks of learning, right. They've been able to calculate this. And so not only has, have all students lost instructional time and instructional skills, but the students who could least afford to lose time, in fact, lost the most points. And what they attribute that to is that if you remember, I know you remember because you were directly involved in it. When, when the pandemic first hit and everything, schools shut down and we did um, online instruction. Well, if you didn't have a, a computer, and a high-speed internet, right. you couldn't do online instruction. Kids were trying to do it with, kids were trying to do instruction with their cell phones. Right. And so, if you lived in a home that had several computers and a high-speed internet connection, and you were computer savvy, or your parents were computer savvy, you lost you lost um, skills, or you didn't acquire them quickly. But you were still acquiring them. If you didn't have a computer, do you remember when schools gave computers out to families? Mm-hmm. And yeah. at the beginning of the pandemic, schools actually passed out computers to families that didn't have them. Um, those kids, and, and we're talking about kids in poverty, um, lost the most. Okay, right. And, and so, and that, makes, and that makes sense because, uh, again, you know, one of the things we talk about every year at the start of the summer break is that if <laughs> students don't perform, you know, practice their academic. Um, skills over the summer, especially reading, you know, when they return at the beginning of the next school year, they lose, you know, several, um, several levels of, of reading performance um, from the end of school and at the beginning of June or so to the beginning of school from the end of June uh, or the beginning of June to the beginning of August, they can lose a lot of, of skills just for simply from not practicing. And so, when the school showed, shut down in March or so of 2020 and mm-hmm. didn't resume for many of them until August at the at the earliest. At the earliest, uh, right. For some, it was even later than that. Um, and and uh, let's be honest, that, that fourth quarter of, of uh, the 2019-2020 uh, school year, there wasn't a lot of academics that were really done. Um, right. Most school systems were just like, 
you know, they weren't prepared, they weren't equipped. And so it was just sort of, let's just sustain. Um, I know a lot of the school districts around here, for example, said, if a student is doing more poorly during that fourth quarter than they did previously, they just gave them the same grade that they got in the third quarter. That's right. Um, right. Regardless of what they did in the fourth quarter. So that fourth quarter, there wasn't a lot of learning and academic engagement or anything like that happening. And so they right. lost so much time. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so when they started back school, they, they were much farther behind than, than anticipated. That's right. And, and we still talk to parents who say, well, you know, she lost the last nine weeks and then there was the summer. And then we tried online learning for the first semester right. and some families continued into the second semester and they're coming to us saying that just didn't work. I, I've had one family who said, my son does better in online than he does in, in, in school, but that's really the exception. Right. Most kids do better when they're in school and they, they sort of get into a rhythm, into a school rhythm of going to bed at a certain time, getting up at a certain time. They're with classmates, peers, teachers, they're hearing this stuff repeated over and over again. And online learning just doesn't work that way. Yeah. And so, as you said, when you lose, um, when a student in the top 10% loses those three points, they can catch up in about nine weeks. Mm -hmm. So they will, they will figure out a way to do it. While a low performing students who lost 12 points would take 36 weeks. Right. Well, that's a whole school year. Right. I mean, and then you're not talking about you're, you're talking about catching up, but remember that top 10% is also moving forward. Mm -hmm. So in effect, you, 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 you probably will never catch up. Right. Yeah. And, and we, we are seeing this play out in, in a lot of ways, oh, yeah. um, not just academic, we're seeing it played out behaviorally as well. Um, mm -hmm. You know, students, um, are, students are behaving much more, much differently now than they were prior to to the pandemic, and yes, you know, I'm I'm sure that people are are very tired of hearing about uh, well because of the pandemic this or because of the pandemic that, uh, but the, these are true effects. These are real effects of the of the pandemic right. that have that have that are having long term implications on the academics and, and progression of students. And you know, here in Florida, we're starting this new system um, because we're, we're going away from the once a year test, uh, the Florida standards assessment, moving away from that to uh, now, oh, now I can't remember the name of the new thing because it was just recently um, kind of yeah, publicized. Um, but now it's a, a three times a year. And every student that I've talked to uh, who has mentioned it has said, yeah, it's, it's really great. They went from uh, testing us one time a year. Now they're testing us three times a year. But it looks the same. But it looks the same. It looks exactly the same as it always did. And so, right. you know, I, I'm interested to see what happens with it. But again, we're, we're talking about the the same kind of expectations, the same kind of high stakes nature uh, of everything that we're doing in school. Mm -hmm. But our students are in a very different place today than they would have been than they were three years ago. Right. That's right. And. What, what we have to keep in mind is that, in effect, um, you know, when we talk about 30 weeks, we're talking about the entire school year. I mean, the entire school year only lasts 33 weeks. Right. And if you take out the first week of school and the last week of school and holidays and different mm -hmm. things, you're talking about 30 weeks. And so if you lose 22 weeks of instruction, 
That's 75% of the school year. And so now these kids are being retested and they're all showing declines. Mm -hmm. Okay, they're, um, they're not doing well on the, on the first um, assessment. And so the larger problem, and this was brought up by Susanna Lieb at Brown University. She studies educational uh, equality and inequality. And she said, the biggest problem for her is this, uh, this achievement gap. She said, right. that's what really, that was one of the things that, that got um, exaggerated during the pandemic and after the pandemic mm. was that the low achieving students lost far more. And so the gap got wider because of the pandemic. Yeah, well, I think that the point that she makes is, is, is fantastic. And that is, and, and so true. Um, again, if, if you work in the school, you see this, that you know, it, it is already difficult prior to the pandemic. It was already difficult to get those lower achieving students engaged. That's right, you were working in the schools at that time. And you right. Rem you remember all that. Yeah. Right. And, and it was it was already difficult to get them engaged and get them involved in, in academics and, and to have that have any have drive um, because, you know, we've, we've done podcasts before on motivation and, and motivation is often derived from achievement. You know, the better you do, the more you want to do it. Right. So when you're not doing well at it, you're not going to want to do very do, do it very often. And That's so right. it was already difficult to get these many of these students engaged. And so then when the pandemic happened and, and all of that sort of expected disengagement uh, because of being out with COVID, because of being out, you know, this right. or that, um, now it's even more difficult because they're further behind. They're, they're, so they're struggling even more. And they've already got a, a year, a, a year and a half or two years oh. of <clears throat> relative disengagement. Right, that's right. Um, so it's, it's, it's even more difficult now than it was ever before. Yeah, and from a practical standpoint, from a teacher standpoint, and this is something that we, we are beginning to hear now more and more frequent. When you talk about the achievement gap, the problem with the achievement gap is that those are the kids, because, they, because it's so difficult, because they're so far behind, they're, they're not as engaged. The, the achievement gap is leading to a lack of engagement. The lack of engagement in turn is, is resulting in increased behavior problems, mm -hmm. which, which is to be expected, more resistance from those kids. You're going to have more dropouts. They're just going to get discouraged and, and just drop out. And there's increased stress for students, teachers, and administrators. So now the achievement gap is creating classrooms that are far more difficult for teachers to manage because because many students are just not engaged. They just don't care. They're not doing homework. They're not behaving. They're vaping in the bathroom. They're getting to class late. They're leaving early. They're taking days off. And so this lack of engagement is creating classroom environments that are much more challenging for teachers to manage at a time when we have a teacher shortage. So right. you start to see these factors interacting with each other. Right. And in... You know, and I was gonna just gonna say that that has been one of the one of the larger casualties um, and, and consequences of all this, and that is the, the loss of a lot of a lot of teachers. And right. I, I know that you do as well. You know, we see a lot of we work with a lot of teachers, but both professionally and therapeutically, um, and they are struggling. They are having a really difficult time. And, you know, I, I can't remember the last time I, I worked with a teacher who, who 
felt confident and felt really good about where the system, where the, where the situation was in their classroom. Right. You know, they're, they're all struggling. They all are dealing with more challenging situations, more challenging behaviors, more challenging academic expectations mm -hmm. than they have before. And, and you right. know, th this has led to, you know, some people uh, like the, this former superintendent of, uh, of Chicago schools, uh, Janice Jackson, um, asking, you know, talking about the, the federal government initiating um, uh, ideas to, right. um, to help rebuild education mm -hmm. uh, because it is in such dire straits right now. Right. Um, okay. So, and I think, I don't think she's necessarily wrong. I think that we're going to, we're going to need something significant to happen, some significant mm -hmm. initiative or plan to, to, to initiate some change um, because it, it's not going to, a lot of, a lot of districts and a lot of uh, states are trying to go back to a, the model that was present before the pandemic. Right. And I just don't, it just doesn't appear to me to be um, a, a climate where that's going to be sufficient, where that's going to work. That's right. And, and you're right. I, I think I hadn't thought about that before, but you remember we used to talk, there is no new normal. Right. You know, it's neither new nor normal. Right. Um, we don't know what new is after this pandemic. And we said that very early on in the pandemic that I don't know what, it, we, nobody knows what it's going to look like. Right. Uh, because of the pandemic. but. Um, you're right. We're trying to force we're trying to force the system back to the way it was in 2019. Right. Okay. Before the pandemic, and so much has changed, and the problems are so vast and so deep and so so broad that I'm not sure that we're going to return to schools as they were in 2019. Too right. much has changed. Right. So it it may be. And this might be an opportunity to rethink uh, the school system, okay? right? Because um, you know we know that we couldn't do high stakes testing today. Too many kids would fail because of the because of the loss of instruction, right? And so, what what Jackson says is we should have like a Marshall plan. Not me, uh, George Marshall, the general who fed uh, Germany, took care of Germany, rebuilt Germany after World War II. We need, a, we need a massive plan on that scale. The federal government has set aside about $190 billion and there's about $122 billion left, but that's not gonna be enough to, to, to uh, fix all that has been damaged because of the pandemic. And so, and the other thing is, is that all of you who listen to the news are aware that public schools have become a battleground for the election. And, and people are talking about uh, educational issues. Uh, the governor, the governor's race in Virginia last year, really hinged on uh, what what the candidates were saying about education. So schools have become a battleground for politicians and and parents. And what she's saying, what Jackson is saying, is politicians, school leaders, teachers unions, parents, we've got to set aside the differences that we we noticed during the pandemic. You know, when, when it comes to book banning books, well, parents discovered that their children were exposed to different kinds. So, so many parents now have become very vocal about books and what books should be in schools or gender or social emotional learning or critical race theory. And we all have these, we all have these notions, these, these biases. And school board meetings have become very contentious. And right. Jackson is saying, we got to put all these differences aside 
because we got to pull everybody together so that students can recover from all they lost during the pandemic. Absolutely. And, and I, I, I think that, you know, even though the, the government has money allocated for some of this, uh, the federal government, um, I, it's going to certainly take much more than just allocating money towards it. I think right. they, they right. need a, a plan is needed and, and it's not a plan, um, you know, sorry for those who, who may be offended by this, but it, it's not a plan that politicians are going to be able to come up with. Educators right. need to be involved and, and they need to be um, educators, um, developmental specialists, um, people who are experts in, in child uh, learning and development and, and psychology, they need to be involved in, in the development of these plans because, um, you know, again, there, there's just mounting evidence that the learning loss during the pandemic was was probably far greater than we anticipated. Right. And, and we have to implement some type of strategy um, to specifically address that issue. Um, because yeah, how, do you, how do you get kids caught up? You know, how do you how do you catch up? Like <clears throat> we often talk about algebra one. If you were taking algebra one during the pandemic, you missed weeks of instruction. Right. Well, no one's going to reteach that in algebra two. Algebra two is algebra two. Right. So how do we fill in those gaps that were created by uh, student absence during the pandemic, absence of instruction, um, right. absence of accountability? Right. And so it, it's going to take a massive effort. And Bernie, as we're talking about this, how many teachers have said to you, this is the worst year ever? Right. I mean, we thought, we thought we'd be out of it, right? And I said, this is the worst year ever. Right. Yeah. And, and just, a, just a, another illustration for the, the, the situation. Um, I, I know of schools and have uh, read about schools where, you know, they went last year, uh, they had, let's just, we'll just use uh, third and fourth grade as an example, because here in right. Florida, um, and, until last, through last year, you know, third grade was, it was the critical year. And if you didn't pass the the, the FSA and you didn't meet some other expectations that you couldn't progress. Well, last year, um, the, I know of schools that went from having like three third grade classes and three fourth grade classes. And because of the performance of the third graders in the, um, on the testing and everything, they're going they're, this year now they're going to have four or five third grade classes in one or two fourth grade classes. Because they were retained? So many students had to be retained from the testing. Wow. So again, we, we have this situation where, you know, the, when the states hold these expectations so firmly and we're not taking into account and, 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 and to credit the, you know, what's going on in the world and what's happening with a lot of these students, this is the situation that we find ourselves in. Right, they just don't have the skills. They don't have the skills, and, and so they're not meeting these expectations. And we're we're, it's sort of like a code of conduct. We're we're holding firm these these expectations and saying, well, that's it. So you know, you know, two thirds of of a of a grade level are going to be retained. That's right. That's, yeah. And so, how do you how do you manage that? You know, right. we don't know. Um, other students who who might have passed the test still are lacking academic skills. How do you get those skills into them? You know, okay. and my, I'll remind you, we're, we're only talking about third graders, right? <laughs> this might also, the only reason we're not talking about other grades is that the data haven't been anal analyzed yet, right. but we're probably going to see this same thing repeat over the grades. So right. it's, not, 
You know, this is across grades. Right. And we're talking about third grade because that's the one where it, where there are statutes that require students to be retained if they don't pass it. That's why we have the data for those already, because we had to know before the before the end, before the start of the school year. So we right. know how many third graders we'd have. Um, right. So it's a mess for third graders, but it's probably it's probably going to be the same picture is probably going to emerge at fifth, eighth and 10th grades. Right. Those other critical assessment years. Right. So, you know, we, we I think you know, what we're kind of working towards is this idea of um, just considering the this impossible task of teaching. Right. You know, they, mm -hmm. there's a teacher shortage. The expectations uh, continue to increase. It, classrooms are just becoming pressure cookers. Um, you know, as this one author wrote, we posted an um, the link in the show notes to a, a, an article from uh, an Injustice magazine, and um, it is titled the, "The Impossible Task of Teaching," and and it's just talking about how classrooms have just become pressure cookers, both from the pressures from the teachers, uh, from from the teachers that are experiencing themselves, from the students, from the administration, from the parents, from the state. There is pressure surrounding the classroom and. And you see them explode sometimes. Right. He he uses the metaphor of a pressure cooker. And he said, if everything goes right, a pressure cooker does a fabulous job and everything turns out well. You know, you have enough pressure, enough pressure to have motivation that things turn out well. But he said, if you get too much pressure, and there's a tipping point, get too much pressure, the pressure cooker will explode. And he said, we are approaching, and I think this article was written by a teacher, and he said, we are approaching that point where the pressure cooker is ready to explode. And he said, there's a lot of reasons why we have a teacher shortage. And people, people, don't, people who aren't in education don't realize the devastating effect that a teacher shortage is going to have. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have enough teachers to cover all of our classrooms. So not only do we have all these kids who are behind, but now we don't have enough teachers to fill the classrooms, let alone provide the extra work. And, and this uh, particular person said, we have demands from the left, and he's talking about the political left, and they're, they're clamoring, there's this, there's this um, cacophony, this clamoring for um, students with special needs. And, you know, what we've done is, you know, back in the 70s, we said we need to, we need to make accommodations for children with special needs. Well, through the 80s and 90s, those students now have found, we, we now have them in regular classes and they have accommodations built into IEPs and 504 plans, which are all legitimate, but it adds to the pressure because now you have students with special needs. And if you're in a classroom where you have three or four kids with IEPs, that adds an enormous amount of work to what you're already trying to do. Right. We also have the whole issue of gender and sexual identity. Uh, there are kids coming to school dressed as dressed as cats, and they're meowing. These are middle school and high school students who are coming to school acting like they're cats. And then you have the whole issue of gender identity, where you have to use different pronouns and different names, and, and you have to keep all that in mind. Then you have the whole bullying issue. You have trauma-informed education, the whole problem with masks that people discovered, you know. Um, and then there's all the mental health issues that are now in classrooms and all the battles over social emotional learning and critical race theory. And so you have all these pressures from the left and then you have all the pressures from the right. Right. And the right. right. 
just you know, the, the expectations that are that are there that the you know the, the expectations that are put on especially teachers with right. performance uh pay and um and, you know the idea of anything you talk talk about related to you mentioned social emotional learning and critical race theory and everything like that and so there's this heightened examination of any uh, of introducing any political beliefs mm -hmm. um, uh, into the classroom um you mentioned earlier about uh, book banning and and the, the content of textbooks we, right. we've had uh textbooks here in florida uh, removed right. from the classroom because of uh, the perceived presence of uh, issues related to critical race theory right. and so you have all of these issues that are um again from the right uh but they're there to that have to be constantly be monitored, have to constantly be watched. And there are consequences if any of these things are, are, are violated, just like there are from those issues on the left. Right. Imagine if you were a teacher. One of the things that people are, are many states are doing is a student can go home and tell their parents that a teacher made a comment about slavery or made a comment about anything. And that teacher can be fired mm -hmm. because they're mentioning something they weren't supposed to mention. So politicians have passed these laws, and in Florida, there are laws that if a teacher steps over that boundary, they can lose their job or they right. can be fined. Right. And so this has sent a chill mm -hmm. through the educational system. And you say, well, we don't want our schools to be political. Well, what's not political? If a teacher wears a mask, that's a that could be viewed as a political statement. Well, you must be a liberal. You must be a Democrat because you know, we're opposed to masks. Well, everything you do is political, okay? Right. And so you have banning books, textbook, banning critical race theory. Critical race theory isn't taught in school, okay? So, right. but why the cloud? So what you have is all these pressures from the left and all these pressures from the right, and then you have demands from above. Yeah, from the pressure from Board of Education to the superintendent, to this local school board, and now local school boards are getting involved in these decisions that they were never involved in before. School board meetings have become battlegrounds. Yeah. And then you have demands from below. <laughs> and this is what I think teachers, teachers are really struggling with this because students are coming in now, many are not engaged. Right. But you try to take a cell phone from a student. And yeah. I mean, there have been physical assaults right. on teachers. Who have asked students or taken taken um, taken cell phones away from their students or told told to put away? Right. You have expectations of students. Students want to come to school and be entertained. Well, you know, and, I expect that fun. And not not just that, but the expectations that you know, if a student isn't performing, that that you then the teacher then still has to do something about that. Um, and you know, I don't know. It, I I always had a hard time with this because. If a student doesn't want, if a student refuses to do the work, right, right, what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. But but the teacher is still held, for the most part, still held liable for um, by 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 sometimes by administration, sometimes by parents for getting the student to perform. And um, you know how do you how do you make a kid do the work? That's right, right. And and these are kids now who have we all know the problem of shortened attention span. Okay, the kids just don't have the attention span. And the pandemic added to that. Right. When they were home doing school in their pajamas, 
and they could take breaks whenever they wanted and they could work as long as they right. wanted as, as, as briefly as they wanted. Now they're coming to school and they're expected to have a 50 minute attention span and many of them simply don't. Right. They come to school without supplies. They don't have pencils and pens and papers. And they know, many of these students know that if push comes to shove, the parents are gonna support them and not the teacher. And yes. teachers know that. Teachers know that I can't push this too far because I don't have, I know I'm not gonna have. I, I, I heard it, uh, about a, an interesting argument that a student made recently, uh, or I, I don't know that it was so much an argument as it was a point because certainly this didn't, I don't think this came from the student. I think it came, the student probably overheard a parent saying it, but here in our district, we are moving to um, what they're just referring to is simply as one-to-one. -one. So every student, the school district is now giving every student either an, a laptop or an iPad uh, or a tablet to use. Um, wow. And it's theirs for the school year uh, to use in all of their academics and everything. And, and this is with the idea that, um, you know, should we have issues where the student has to be out of school, they still have access to learning content and all this kind of stuff. Well, the, one, there was a student recently who said, um, well, they're giving, the, they're giving me this, you know, thousand dollar piece of equipment. Um, nobody asked me if I wanted to use it. Okay. Nobody asked me if, but, but now I'm liable for it. Now I'm responsible for it. And if something mm -hmm. happens to it, I could get in trouble for it. Right. Uh, but nobody asked me if I wanted to, to use this. And while I, I won't say that the student is wrong, um, but you can certainly understand why, where the school district is coming from. Um, that's the perspective that the teachers are dealing with. Right. The, the that's perspective right. that <clears throat> even when you give them something that's going to help them and to you know, help overcome a lot of obstacles that many students have, that's still a problem for some people. <laughs> it's still gonna be a problem for somebody. Right. Okay. And so to, when we talk about the pressure cooker that is teaching today, the, the pressure cooker of the classroom, when, when people talk about a one-time bonus right. or a two or 3% salary increase, right. those are la that's laughable. I mean, that's, that's almost insulting to right. say, well, we'll give you another thousand dollars. Because by the time you take out taxes and everything else, you're talking about $20 a month or $30 for a month for, for a year. That's nothing today, okay? And so those are really not solutions, no matter how they play politically. A one-time bonus and single-digit salary increases are meaningless. Right. And so if these pressures are not released somehow, right. the teacher shortage is going to get worse. And we're gonna, we could find ourselves in a real predicament because there aren't enough private schools for all these students, let's face it. I mean, he, you'd have to turn all the public schools into private schools in order to house everybody. So um, you say private education, that's not gonna solve the public school problem. Right? Right. It's, gonna solve, it's gonna solve the problem for some families, but it's not gonna solve the problem for public education. Absolutely. So <laughs> as, we're, as we're kind of wrapping up uh, for this week, you know, I think it's important that we take a moment just to talk about just to, just to remind everyone about what school is for. Right. You know, uh, school is for school is for everyone. Right. You know, you, you mentioned nineteen in the nineteen seventies um, with you know IEPs and special education and everything. Mm -hmm. You know that was part of the reason that was formalized is because every student, every student, until they're twenty two, they reach their twenty second birthday. Mm -hmm. 
public education is available to them. That's right. From the 1950s on, we made education available for students of color, you know, with the civil rights movement and students with um, special needs. So mm -hmm. we, we broadened the appeal and said, no, the, the school's for everybody, okay? Right. We want everybody to, to, to have a free public education. Right. That's, schools are where we learn to tolerate each other. Yeah. You know, we learned that history is a messy business. You know, there were things that happened that shouldn't have happened. And we learned how to negotiate, not demand, but to negotiate. Right. And it's for, you know, improvement, social mobility. You know, right. we go to school so that we can learn and build and, and gain skills so that we can progress and improve our life circumstances. Right. Um, you, know, you know, that doesn't that doesn't really happen anywhere else um, or. or it takes much longer uh, for that to happen if you wait until you're, you know, until you're an adult and you can get a job and you can work your way up in a, in a company or something. Right. You know, social mobility that available through academics and education helps you get to that point so that you can start at a higher level than you would have otherwise. Right. And how many times education is the surest way out of poverty? Right. You know, if you want to improve yourself, get an education. Right. So if you want people to improve, the place to begin that is in the public schools. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, and it goes without saying that, you know, schools, uh, sadly, schools are the place where, you know, a lot yes. of students just receive, that's where they receive care. They, that's mm -hmm. where they can go to make sure that they're eating every day, that they're, um, that you know, that they're clean and that they're taken care of and that they sometimes receive medical care. Um, you know, th that's where they go to get that uh, because they wouldn't get it otherwise. That's right. Uh, food is the most important one. You know, during the pandemic, uh, we had yeah. schools, school, that's where kids eat. Many kids eat at school. You know, school's not in session. Right. They don't eat. Absolutely. So, so let's remember that and recognize that eat. the research has demonstrated there's been a significant loss of skills. Mm -hmm. um, students are, are, are different today than they were three, just three years ago. Um, right. There was a significant loss of skills and we need a plan to to remedy that because those that are the most affected by that are the students who were already struggling right that those are already our most vulnerable uh, our students who were struggling the most they were affected m more significantly than than others and so we really need to make sure that we're building a plan to address those losses of skills especially for that population right and let's remember that teaching is becoming almost impossible i right. mean the, the demands from from everybody, everybody's demanding everything. Um, and it puts teachers in a position where you simply can't do the job anymore. There are too many demands, they're too different, they're too diverse, um, and they're just impossible to meet. The other thing is, I think we should start treating teachers as the professionals that they are. They're highly trained, highly educated, very competent, and students and parents treat teachers as though they're, I don't know, hired help or something. They're, yeah. You know, I don't know, but think about it. Would you allow your children to talk to the pediatrician or the dentist mm -hmm. the way they talk to teachers? I mean, right. they're, they're all professionals and right. you wouldn't dare allow your children to treat a, a, a pediatrician or a doctor or a dentist that way. Right. They shouldn't treat teachers that way either. Absolutely. And then the last thing is you have to stop. We all need to pause and stop grinding our personal agenda, mm -hmm. regardless of how legitimate, how worthwhile, how valuable it is to you. Um, there are other things that 
that we need to do right now. And this is a time when I think it would be good for all of us to put our personal agendas aside and allow teachers to do the jobs that they know how to do. We just need to get out of the way and let them do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, we, we will, I'm sure we will return to this topic again in, in future podcasts um, because there's just always more to talk about. And, you know, as more research comes out, there'll be more information for us to go pull from. Right. Yep. So, all right. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid.